It's Resurrection Sunday, and, 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 and I love it. I'm, I'm so happy about that. I, I woke up this morning, and the sun was starting to rise, and I couldn't help but just take my heart to where they were on that day on Resurrection Sunday. And I'm going to get into that in just a few minutes, but I do want to say this. If, you, if you're a first-time uh, guest with us today, it is an honor to have you here today. It is an honor to have you here. Matter of fact, we did two services to make room for you because we believe that God has an appointment and a time. And I, we believe that you're not here by accident. We believe that God brought you here. And we want to just make you welcome today. Come on, family. Can we give all of our guests a welcome? Those online watching. I tell you what, my heart is just so full today. I woke up this morning, and I went a little old school in my house, and I always, almost every Sunday morning, I, I get up and I turn on some worship music while I'm getting ready. You know, it takes me about five seconds to do my hair. It's getting, getting quicker. It's getting quicker every, <laughs> every day. Just a few more missing, so it gets a little bit easier. Uh, my kids would, would, would agree with that, but, uh, you know, getting old is terrible. Uh, but I'll, that's a whole other subject. All right. But when I got up, and I, I, normally, I normally play some worship music, and, and today I felt a little bit, I don't know, just old school. And, and I, I, I began to play this song, um, and we, we really, you don't hear it too often, too much anymore. But I'm, I'm going to read this. I did this at the first service, and I want you guys to get this in your heart, this, this song. I love this song. It says this. It says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. I don't care what the world tells you. Jesus is alive, okay? All right. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. How many know that Jesus is closer than a brother? Amen. The course of that song goes, he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Now check this out. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives salvation to impart. That's for you and that's for me today. Amen. You ask me how I know that he lives. Let me tell you how I know. He lives within my heart. Come on and give Jesus a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Man, I'm charged in my heart. Man, that's got the juices pumping today. Woo. I might just take off of this service. I don't know. I'm feeling pretty good. I, I want to I wanna just preface before I get into my, my sermon. I was preparing to speak and... Uh, are there any any uh, other pastors or former pastors in the house? You can raise your hand. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Anybody else? All right. It's all right. I'm not calling you guys out, but I, I want to preface something. As a minister of the gospel, when you when you when you're getting credentialed, they show you the process to build a sermon. It's called homiletics. Okay, and and they a nice packaged sermon usually has three to four points. It helps you to remember, and you put that together. And as I was working through this, I, I was battling in my heart because the Holy Spirit had given me one point, one point, and I was like, man, this goes against everything homiletically that I'm supposed to be doing. And I struggled with it, and I, and I tried to crunch in three points on top of this, and I looked at it and looked at it, and I prayed about it. And this morning, I just said, you know what, God, I just threw my homiletics out today, so I'm going to be preaching a sermon. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you three points, but I, I, but I, my, my main, I have one point that I want you to take home today that, that, that is a powerful thing, okay? Uh, and so I want to establish some things, and I want to talk to you today about establishing the resurrection. Establishing the resurrection. Look at your neighbor and say, establishing the resurrection. Let's pray, if you will. Lord, we thank you for this day, God. I thank you for your mercy, your grace, your love, your kindness towards us. 
God, thank you for the chance to come together to worship. God, last year at this time, we weren't allowed to do this. So God, today I'm extra thankful that I can be in the house with fellow believers. And so God, I ask Lord today, Lord, that you would use me as you see fit. God, let me be an oracle for you, God. I pray, Lord, let the words that come from my mouth be yours and not my own. God, use this vessel today how you see fit. And God, we will give you the praise. We will give you the glory. And everybody said, amen. Do me a favor. Elbow your neighbor and say, it's the second service. Wake up. All right. Not too many people went to sleep in the first service. So we, we did pretty good today. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about establishing establishing the resurrection. And, and, and here's the thing. Some people would say, what is the big deal about resurrection? What is the big deal about resurrection? And I, I want to point out some things to you today. If you're a note taker, you ought to write this down. Because this is foundational truth to what we believe. Okay? You need to write this down. And, and you could tweet this. Because this is tweetable right here. Okay? A lot of junk on Twitter. This is tweetable right here. Okay? The resurrection is the hinge on which the door of our salvation swings open. The resurrection is the hinge on which the door of our salvation swings open. Without a resurrection, there's no salvation. And I'm going to get to some, some points here. I, I'm going to give you three points why uh, uh, what the, uh, the resurrection establishes three things for us. And I, I want to point those out now. Listen, I'm giving you these three points because I'm laying a foundation here. This is not my sermon. This is just something I'm just laying a foundation for you. You're like, oh, please hurry up. Get to your sermon, okay? No, you don't have to be that way. Come on now. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So uh, it, the first thing that the resurrection establishes this is the confirmation of Jesus' claims. The confirmation of his claims. We know this. What did Jesus do when he did his earthly ministry? Jesus, to the Pharisees and to so many people, he claimed to be God and divine. It's what he did. And all, and he would even say this uh, in scripture, Jesus would would compare, he would call all other gods and all other deities that they were robbers and thieves, that they weren't the real deal. Jesus is very exclusive. Scripture tells us, Jesus would say this, I, I'm going I'm to point something out. Now, I don't want to offend you today, but this is Jesus' words. It says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Okay? So, Jesus claims his deity, and I, I want to point out some things here. He made some big claims, but continually in Scripture, he backs them up over and over and over and over again. Look at this, John chapter 2. We see the Pharisees in there asking Jesus, and he's claiming his deity, and they say, hey, by what authority, by what authority are you claiming these things? John chapter 2 Verse 18 says this, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, verse 19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Verse 20, the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. They're talking about the building the temple. And will you raise it up in three days? Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. How many know that, that this is the temple of God? So that's what he is talking about. He said he is, he is going to destroy this temple and bring it back in three days. How many are thankful for Resurrection Sunday? All right. So one sign, Jesus said this, one sign I'll give to you to confirm my claims. I'm going to destroy this body, and I'm going to raise it back up, okay? Number one, number one, that was the first, first claim, confirmation of his claims. Here's the second thing. I'm a, we're establishing something here. The validation of his cross. If any man sin, we have an advocate 
with the Father who is the propitiation for our sins. In, in our Good Friday service, I broke that word down a little bit. Propitiation, that's a big word, right? It's a pretty big word. And I can tell you what it means. Propitiation, propitiation mean, literally means this. The satisfaction for God's righteousness and wrath and indignation. So our sins separate us from God. There has to be a price paid. In the Old Testament, they would take a lamb on the day of atonement or if they sinned and they would have to take a lamb and they'd have to sacrifice that lamb. And that lamb would give its life in place of that person's sins. You say, well, I don't, I, that's, that's, that's really deep. I don't understand why they would do that. But let me show you something. See, when Jesus would come onto the scene, he would be the perfect lamb. He would be the spotless lamb. And he would be the propitiation for our sin. Matter of fact, he would cry this from the cross. One of my favorite lines and sayings that he said from the cross is, it is finished. When he's saying that, what he's saying is, it is complete. The sacrifice that was needed, it is finished. Tetelestai is the Greek word for that. And it literally means the work is done. If a merchant made a transaction and a payment was made, they would say, telelestai, which literally means paid in full. How many know that Jesus Christ foot the bill for your sins and mine? Amen? And you say, oh, okay. I see what you're talking about, the validation of the cross. But let me ask you this, TJ. Would it be enough in the Father's eyes? Would Jesus' sacrifice on the cross be enough in the Father's eyes? And, and I can tell you this, if it hadn't been valid, Jesus would have stayed in the grave. He would have stayed in the grave. Can I tell you this? The cross satisfies God's righteous demands. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus stepped in the gap for you, and he paid the bill for your sins and my sins on Calvary, and he beat it once and for all. It is finish. Here's the third thing. The validation of his cross. Here's the third thing. The continuation of his call. The continuation of his call. Look at this. Matthew chapter 1. The angel of the Lord came to Joseph. Joseph being Jesus' earthly father, his stepdad, his foster dad. Because God the Father was his father. But look at this. Matthew Chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says this. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Look at this next part. For he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. It was his purpose. He came with the purpose, a simple purpose, and that was to save. Said this, you shall call him Jesus, or you shall call him Yeshua, which literally means he will save his people. Jesus came with that purpose, to save you, to save me. Because Romans tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And my own righteousness is as filthy rags is what scripture tells us. And if it hadn't been for Jesus, he was the atonement, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice for my sins and yours. I want to do something this morning. I want you to give one word that describes, I'm going to give you a phrase. And I want you, to, you guys to give me one word to describe what this is. And if you were in the first service, you need to just cover your mouth right now. All right. Look at your neighbor and say, we're about to do crowd participation here. All right. A farmer, a farmer, farms, a farmer, a farmer, a painter, a plumber, a rancher, a politician. I heard lies. I, I, I tricked you guys, didn't I? All right, all right. 
here, get this, a Savior, a Savior, a Savior, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. And literally, if you look at the meaning of this in Matthew, save here means to constantly save, to continually save. It doesn't mean just one time, but it just means over and over. And Jesus is in the saving business. Let me show you why. Look, Jesus is out on the sea, and there, here comes Peter, and he's going out, and he sees Jesus, and he has a moment, and he starts to look at the storm, and he begins to look at the waves. And what happens to Peter? He begins to sink. And what does he do? He cries out to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He grabs him and saves him. Time and time again, Jesus saved people. He turned their situation around. Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus meets the requirements of a high priest. Now, in the Old Testament, I'm going to allude to this because we're going to come back to this. In the Old Testament, when they would sacrifice a lamb, they, they would take the priest, and he had a robe, and around his robe... The symbolic, I'm not going to get deep into this today, but there was a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell, and it went all the way around. And if that priest had any sin in his life, when he would, and they would tie a rope around his, his waist, and when he would go into the Holy of Holies, and if there was any unrighteousness when he was there where the kabod, the weightiness of God, the Holy of Holies, when he would go in there, if there was any sin in his life, he would fall over. The reason he had bells on is so the other priest could hear if he was still moving around and alive. If they died, they would just drag him out. But Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus meets the requirements of the high priest. Not only does he meet the requirements of his own life, but he meets the requirements for our sins, for your sins. And I love that. I'm, I'm painting a picture today. Stay with me just a moment. I'm painting a picture, and I'm going to get to a, to my one point shortly. I promise I won't keep you all day. The first service got out, okay, just so you know. The validation, can I tell you this, the confirmation of his claims is he is God. He would tear down his temple and rebuild it in three days. I'm going to die and be resurrected. We're here because of Resurrection Sunday. Here's the second thing I want to just tell you. The validation of his cross. Can I tell you what he did on Calvary? Paid in full. Look at this. Number three, the continuation of his call. The resurrected king still saves today. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, now I know. I, I'm laying a foundation here. Now, I, I want you, if you have your Bibles, turn, turn to um, John The 20th chapter, if you don't have it, say, I got it on the screen, Pastor. The resurrection, it does this. It establishes those three things for us. The, the resurrection story is a powerful one. Say, how do I know if I'm following the right or the wrong path in life? Can I, can I tell you this? Here's, here's a good test. Here's a good test for you, okay? I want you to do something. You can, you can look at every religion in the world. But I, I want to I point out something. You can go to Confucius' tomb, and it's occupied. You can go to Buddha's tomb, and it's occupied. You can go to Muhammad's tomb, and it's occupied. But when you go to Jesus' tomb, it is empty. Matter of fact, Jesus would go on to say he would go to a tomb that wasn't even his own. It's a borrowed tomb. He borrowed it from a man named Joseph. It's like Airbnb. I'm only going to be in here for like three days. I promise I'll leave it better than when I got here. And so he, he does this. And then can I tell you this? Jesus was the only one out of all of those religions, out of all major religions who said this, I am going to die and I'm going to be resurrected. It's amazing. It's amazing. That's how I know. And here's what we know about Jesus. He did what he said he was going to do. He, what Jesus starts, he finishes. What he begins, he always ends strong. And I believe that there's some things in this story today that are applicable to you and to me. And I want to just point this out. We're going to read this together. Uh, you know, one of the things, if you want to stop Christianity... And if they wanted to stop the movement that Jesus had started here on earth, can I tell you, the quickest way 
that they could have done that was show Jesus' body on the fourth day. If the Pharisees really wanted to stop Christianity, all they had to do was bring Jesus' body up on the fourth day because that would have made all his claims false. So I just want to say this. It would have never done the Pharisees any good to take Jesus' body out of the tomb and steal his body because that would only prove to the disciples that Jesus, you know. So there, there's, there's that claim. And, and this, Jesus would claim he would raise on the third day. There's this hypothesis that goes around, and, and it's really a lie of the enemy, but it's called the swoon hypothesis. And many believe this hypothesis that Jesus, when he was on the cross, he lost a lot of blood and basically kind of went into a coma-like state where they thought he was dead, and then they put him in the tomb. And that it, the dampness of the tomb would bring him back to life. Now, I, I need you to understand something about this, okay? There's, there's a couple, couple flaws in this, in this hypothesis because I can tell you, number one, he endured. The scripture tells us he was marred more than any other man. So he, he endured a crucifixion that was, that was brutal. The amount of blood he lost, the amount of fluids that he lost on the cross was incredible. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. When they would dress a body, they would bring spices, and, you know, and, and, and like 100 pounds of spices when they would dress a body. And they would rub aloe and, and different fragrance, fragrances on the body to keep it from stinking, right? I mean, no dead bodies stink. Just kill a possum in your, underneath your house. You'll know dead bodies stink, right? And so they would, they would dress him, and then they would wrap the body, prepare it for burial, they would put it in there. Now here's the problem with that swoon hypothesis and way of thinking is this. Jesus, who just bore the cross, would have had to have been in the grave for a day and a half by himself, no food, no water. Number one, he would have been bound by his grave clothes. So you're telling me that he had enough strength after being crucified to wake up and totally unravel all these tightly knit grave clothes on himself. On top of that, be strong enough to move that three to four ton stone that is in front of his tomb that sealed his tomb. All right. How many are with me? I, I, I'm validating something right now. And if you look at the scripture, if you look at the scripture when Jesus, after he's raised from the dead, there's an account of, of 500 or so that had seen him before he ascended into heaven. Not when he ascended, but that had seen him in total. All the disciples saw him. And can I tell you something? When all the disciples saw him, they made note and they, they, they made sure that you understood that they saw the living Christ. And I begin to think about this. How many would be martyred for a lie? How many would die because they didn't believe in something, if they were trying to hide that Jesus actually did die. How many would be martyred for that? How many would go to their death for a lie? Each disciple was martyred, except for John, who got to die of old age. But can I tell you something, if you look at all the martyrs in the early church that would have been eyewitnesses to Jesus that we have record of, not one of them recanted their statement that Jesus rose again. Not one. You can find it, you can find it, you let me know, but I, I could not find one. It's confirmation, it's not confusion when you look at the facts, okay? It's confirmation of who Jesus is. Look at this, John chapter, chapter 20, verse 1 says this. Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. You guys came to the second service, so I can't give you props for coming early today. Sorry, it's all right. I'm, I'm just teasing. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Don't worry, the first service didn't come while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and, other, and the other disciple and I'm going to point this out here. John is the writer of this. And John never refers to himself as John. He always refers to himself as the other disciple or the one that Jesus loved. 
He always does, okay? So there he is. Uh, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, John, the woman, one whom Jesus loved. Give yourself accolades, John. All right? And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. First thing I want to point out here, she came to the tomb early, early. From 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. How many got up at 3 a.m. this morning? How many went to bed at 3 a.m. this morning? All right. So she's there between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., probably tired, probably had a sleepless night because let me tell you what she's endured. She's endured a lot. Number one, she was one of the people that were at the, at the foot of the cross. So she got a firsthand witness of Jesus dying and the brutality that he went through on the cross. She is one that saw it. I don't know about you, but if you see something traumatic like that, it weighs on you, on you physically. You know, when something bad happens and you don't sleep and you struggle to kind of turn your mind off. Anybody ever been there before? And that's where she's at. And, and her re first response is this. Man, they've taken Jesus' body. Now, you need to understand something. Grave robbers were common in that day. But we already said this. The Pharisees would have wanted Jesus' body to stay intact. Truthfully, they would have wanted it to be there. And, and we need to understand this. The tombstone weighed about three to four tons. And it would seal the tone. And, 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 and it's kind of funny to me, you know. Uh, I might add that, that this, and I said this earlier, Jesus was borrowing that tomb. He was borrowing that tomb. He was there. Now look at this. Verse 3 says this. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. They went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face of cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first. John really wanted you to know that he beat Peter to the tomb. Two times, see, uh, just so you know, I'm a little faster here. Uh, let's give accolades to John for being the first 5K, first place 5K runner to be to the tomb, all right? I like John here. He's like, well, Peter walked on water, but I beat him in a foot race to the tomb. I'm going to let, and then you know what's cool? He wrote it in the eternal word of God. <laughs> I'm going to let everybody know forever that I beat him. I think that's funny says this, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as of yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. There's a side note here I want to just point out. You know, John's racing there and Peter's running. I probably would have been Peter. <laughs> a little bit behind. But a little side note I want to, both of these guys were gentlemen because we forget that Mary was with them, and she's nowhere in sight. It's like, bye, Mary. See you later. And they took off, and so we're, we're, they left her in the dust. But we know this, that John gets there first because he had to tell us twice. And he looks in, and he sees the empty tomb, and he sees Jesus' clothes lying there. Peter comes in a little bit later and does what Peter does. John he just kind of glances in, but Peter's like, get out of my way, John. I'm, I've got to go inside and see it for my own eyes here. i got to see what's going on. So Peter goes actually into the tomb and, and, and looks and he evaluates. And he sees the burial clothes still intact with no body in it. It's kind of like our, our, our clothes if they were laying out on our bed. They're there, but there's no body in it. Nothing filling it. I, would, I told the first service when I was growing up, and, uh, you know, I was raised in church. When I was growing up, my parents, I came home from church, or came home from school one time on the bus, me and my brother, one afternoon, and my parents' car was there. And this was before cell phones. How many remember before cell phones? 
you young people don't even know. I don't even know how we contacted each other. I'm going to be honest with you. But this was before cell phones. And we came home, and my parents' cars were home. And we walked in the house, and me and my brother are like, Mom, Dad. Nobody answered. And we're like, what's going on? And then we went, and we're looking, and we saw like a, like a pile of clothes. And then we, I looked at my brother, and he looked at me, and I said, I think we missed the rapture. I think we missed the, the rapture. And I got nervous inside. No, there was no cell phones. So I, so I couldn't call my parents. And I was like, God, forgive me for all my sins. And, you know, and I'm like, make sure everything was right in my life. And, and there, and, you know, it was funny because my parents had actually, some people had come by the house. And they had actually went with them in their vehicle. And, and we didn't know it. And it was valid. But my whole point there is this. Some, it, Jesus' linens are laying there. They're empty. They're there. They're intact, but they're empty. His grave clothes are there, and they're intact. And, and, and when he walks in, he sees the clothes still intact with nobody in it, but he also sees this headpiece folded. Now, this is important. I want you to look at something here. This, this, this blew my mind. When I began to research this and look into this, what is the importance of this headpiece, and why is it folded, and why is his grave clothes just sitting there empty, all intact? See, there's a... A thing in Jewish culture that when a master would get up from the table, he would take his napkin, and if the master wadded his napkin up, he would put it on the plate, and when he left, the servant would know that the master was finished. Now look at this. This, this blew my mind. But if the master got up from the table and folded his napkin and put it down and walked away, it would symbolize that he's coming back. How many know that Jesus Christ is coming back? He's coming back for a pure and a spotless bride. See, it started with the cross. It went to the resurrection. Jesus still has one more act to happen before it's all said and done, before it's all complete. And Jesus is telling us, I'm coming back. He's not the Terminator. I'll be back. No, he is letting us know, I am coming back. That blows my mind. I love that. Peter, he goes in first, and then John follows him. Now, I want to point something out here. There's some, there's some great truths here. Now, this is a little different than what I would normally speak, but this is what I felt like I needed to do today. I'm, the, the text says here that they believe. The word saw, it can be found in verse 5 and verse 6 and verse 8. And the, the thing is, if you look at the original Greek here, the word saw, and Greek is a much more expanded uh, language than English. Sometimes Greek will have three words, uh, that, that the same word that mean different things. Here in the English language, those words can combine to one. So we think of the word saw as I saw someone, right? One thing. But these literally have three different meanings from verse 5 and 6 and 8. So remember, verse 5, John's there. He looks into the tomb. Now that would be uh, like a word, I guess the best way to translate that would be to glance. Just glancing in, just seeing what's going on, right? And then in verse 6, when Peter got there and he actually goes into the tomb, that would be like staring. There's a difference between glancing and staring, right? You ever had somebody stare at you? It's uncomfortable. But Peter would come in, and he would look at the grave clothes, and, it's, and the word translated saw there is he began to stare. And then when John would come in in verse 8, he goes from glancing to staring. When John comes in, the word is actually study. What is going on here? There is a difference in those three words. And so they all mean something different. And, and can I tell you this? What I, what I got out of that, what I, what I was, what I, when I read that was this. The more we see God moving, the more we begin to understand him. We go from glancing at God to staring at God to studying God. And the closer we get to that. And the scripture tells us that they believed and the empty tomb confirmed his Resurrection, all right? How many, how many know that he resurrected today? All right, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I told you I'm not going to keep you too long. You're going to be able to eat lunch today. Praise Jesus.
verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. They saw, and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Christ had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. I want to show you something. And I talked about the atonement of sin. I talked about the priest going into the Holy of Holies. Now, in, in the Old Testament, in the Holy of Holies, there was a, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, God had told the Israelites to build the Ark of the Covenant when they were in uh, uh, in, in the wilderness. And they, they built this box. And this box was a, a box. And it had, it had an angel on this side and an angel on this side. And they faced each other on this box. And in this was where the presence of God would dwell. They would take the Ark of the Covenant. Matter of fact, you couldn't touch it because if you touched it, you would die. And they had to carry it a specific way. And there's stories in the Bible where they didn't carry it the right way and someone had to die. Now listen, so they would take the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God was. They would put it in the Holy of Holies. And when the priest, high priest would come in, sacrificial lamb, he would sacrifice the lamb. I, I talked about this on Good Friday, that he would take seven sprinkles of blood and sprinkles of the, of the lamb's blood, perfect lamb, and they would sprinkle that seven times on the mercy seat, which would be the center of the Ark of the Covenant. Are you guys following me here? Now look at this. I want to show you something. I, I thought this was amazing. When I begin to think about this, Jesus' tomb clothes are there. And at the foot of Jesus is an angel. And at the head of Jesus was an angel. And here's the thing, where Jesus laid is the mercy seat for you and me. God made a way for you and me. He sprinkled his blood on the cross for you and me. And because of that, we have freedom today. It's amazing to me. I love that. So there's Mary and she's crying. And then two angels are in the tomb. I don't know about you. If I was there and Peter and John went home and I'm sitting there crying and I went back into the tomb and there were two angels, I'd probably be like, whoa, where'd you guys come from? I really need to get some sleep because where'd you guys come from? But no, she's crying. And you know what? They even ask her a question. Why are you crying like any good person would do to anybody in a cemetery? Why are you crying? And she says, I, I don't know where they took my Lord and I need to find out where he's at. She's concerned about where Jesus' body is. And they ask that great question, why are you crying? And, 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 you know, it's amazing to me when we cry at cemeteries because here's the, why do we cry at cemeteries? Because when we, we go to someone's tombstone, we go back to the place where we had our last final contact with somebody, our last physical contact. We go to the gravestone and we say, I remember you. Remember you. And so there she is right there in that moment. Look at this. I'm getting to my point right here. Everyone say, finally. Verse 14 says this. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Okay. There's two angels in the tomb, and then she turns around, and there's another figure there. Where are these people coming from? Look at this. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? I love Jesus. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. I, I like this. Jesus asked the same question that the angels asked. Why are you weeping? And You know, Jesus always asks questions. When we ask questions, Jesus always asks questions. Like if you look at many, the Pharisees would ask Jesus a question. You know how he would respond in a question. It's like a salamander. You just can't get your hand on it. You can't, you can't like, you know, it just drives you crazy. So he would ask questions. And he would answer any good question with another question. <laughs> and I find it interesting because he knows what she's crying about. Number one, she's probably tired. She had just seen her master die. She watched him die. It's early in the morning. She hasn't had Starbucks yet. Amen. 
to boot, the body of Jesus is gone. So there's another situation. Jesus is dead. Now, another problem. Where's Jesus' body? And she believes that somebody has stole his body. And her life is a mess at this point. How many times is our life a mess and we think it's all impossible and it's messing up. And really, Jesus is speaking to us and we can't clearly hear him because we're so enamored by what's going on around us that we miss that Jesus is actually talking to us. I can feel the frustration in, in her voice here because she's just like, will you just tell me where you laid him? For goodness sakes, reminds me of my wife. Will you just get to the point, TJ? I just need to find him. And it's, I, I almost find it comical because here's Jesus who would have been in grave clothes. Uh, you know, I told you they, there was a, about 100 pounds of ointment that they would put on his body. And, and so here's little Mary. She's going to go get Jesus and bring him back. She's going to pick up Jesus. Let's just say Jesus was a buck 50, 150 pounds. Has anyone ever picked up a dead body? Please say no. All right. <laughs> the altars are open this morning. <laughs> Mortician over here. Yeah, no. Um, but it would have been dead weight. For, for her to pick up Jesus' body and bring it back, that would have been, it's almost comical to think about. And honestly, she... She wouldn't be that. She wasn't thinking clearly. And how many times in our life are we not thinking clearly because situation looks bleak and this is going on and we're tired physically, we're tired spiritually, and things just aren't going the way we thought. Can I tell you something about Mary? She loved the Lord, and love doesn't worry about the details. It just goes to work. I love that. I love that. Look at this, verse 16, and this is my point. This is my whole point, verse 16 right here, okay? Are you ready for this? Here we go. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. He said, Mary. She said, Rabbani. He said, Mary. She said, Master. He called her by name. She called him master. The resurrected Jesus turned and called her by name. Can I tell you something today? I don't care who you are, what you've done. The master knows your name. You know what that tells me about the resurrected king? Not only did he defeat hell and the grave, he is a personal God that knows you. You know the scripture tells us that he knows the number of hair on our head. Some of that's, some of us that's a lot easier than others, right? The resurrected king turned and called her by name. Now look at this. When he called her name, she knew who he was. When she called, when he called her by name, she knew who he was. Mary. Mary. It blows my mind, really. Look at this. John 10, 27 says this, and this is Jesus speaking here. This is previous when he's in his ministry, previous to the tomb. But he, he says this, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Look at that. That is amazing. You know what? Mary knew Jesus' voice, and when he called her by name, she's like, I know you. You're the good shepherd. Look at this. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing through the word of Christ. Can I tell you today, it's not by what we see, but it's who we're hearing from. There's something when we begin to hear from Christ, our faith begins to grow. When he begins to speak our name. Mary, Rabbanai. Mary, Master, and she finally realizes it's Jesus. I'm talking to Jesus. I'm talking to Jesus. I thought your body was gone. Yo, you're right here. That's California, just so in case you're wondering. That comes out every once in a while. And can I tell you today, Jesus, the resurrected king, is a personal God. He knows your name today. He knows your name today. Craig, he knows your name. David, he knows your name. 
He knows your name today. Listen, your faith is growing because of, because some of you are hearing for the first time Jesus calling your name. You've never experienced that. And, and let me tell you this, what you're feeling in your heart right now is the unction of the Holy Spirit, and that's called conviction, and that's Jesus nudging at your heart saying your name. Want a personal relationship with you. Now look at this. Look at Mary's response here. Jesus says Mary and she says Rabbani. And, and, and let me show you the significance and why, why that's important. The key to hearing the Lord's voice is responding correctly. The key to hearing God's voice means that we have to respond correctly. Now look at this. I want to show you something. I'll give you an example. One thief on the cross mocked Jesus. One thief on the cross uh, bless Jesus. And one asked him to remember him. You remember, right? One mocked him and one asked him to remember him. And Jesus said, this day in, I will remember you in paradise and you will be with me in paradise. It's our response. How many times is Jesus calling our name and we don't respond to who he is? Can I tell you he wants to be the Lord over your life, the master over your life? Say, I don't know how I feel about Jesus. Let me tell you something. It's the best decision you'll ever make. I promise you. I've lived a long time, and I've done some dumb things, some knuckleheaded things in my life. But let me tell you, every time I hear Jesus call my name, I know that is where I belong. Now, will you bow your heads with me all across this building? Today, it's your choice to respond to him as the Lord over your life. Can I tell you today that the resurrected king is calling your name? He paid the price for your sins on the cross and conquered death in the grave. Can I tell you this, that he's coming back again for a spotless bride and those that he calls his own. Can I say this today? Will you respond to him today? Will you respond to him today? With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to respond to Jesus calling your name talked about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's, Scripture tells us that no man comes to the Father except through Jesus, but the Holy Spirit nudges you and will direct you and bring you in to that place. So here today, I know this is a little different on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus resurrected. He beat death, hell, and the grave, but can I tell you this? He wants a personal relationship with you. calling you by name. If you're here under the sound of my voice, and this is the sim simplistic point of the gospel, all you got to do is ask Jesus into your heart, believe on him and confess your sins. Those three things, that's all it takes to be saved today. Ask him to be the Lord of your life. So today under the sound of my voice, you say, hey, I feel the nudging of the Holy Spirit. I want God Come into my life. Today's the best day. It's Easter Sunday. Today's your moment. God brought you here. You're not here by accident. The Holy Spirit has called you here today. It is your moment. I don't want you to miss it this morning. You say, can I tell you this? God cast a vote for you. The devil cast one against you. You hold the deciding vote today. Say, Pastor, I feel the unction of the Holy Spirit. I feel him calling me. Would you just lift your hand and say, I want to be saved today. We're not going to call you out. We're not going to bring you to the front. We're not going to do anything. Anybody in the middle? We're going to tarry just a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? As we tarry just a moment, listen, we'll wait here. Your, your eternity with Christ, your relationship with Christ is important right now. We'll take just a few extra moments. Anybody else? Can we do this? Can we pray together collectively as a group? Will you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I ask you to be the Lord over my life. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead and are coming back again. Lord, I confess my sins and I ask you, to forgive me. Lord, I want to walk in relationship with you today. And I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we give 
a thunderous praise for those who accepted Jesus this morning. The Bible says that heaven's cheering right now. The Bible says that heaven's cheering. Can you stand to your feet? Can we give God some praise? We thank you, Jesus. I want to do something else. If you'll stand with me, we just want one more moment here. If you're here and you're a believer, everything's good. You don't, you have Jesus in your heart, but maybe you got distracted by things going on. You're like Mary. There's a whole lot of happening right now. You're tired. You're wore out. You're confused. Weird things are happening. People are showing up different places and tombs and whatnot, and you're there, and it's a little bit confusing, and you're in this place in your life, and you say, hey, I need God to speak to me. Can I tell you, he's right there with you if you'll seek him. He's calling you by name, and you say, hey, and you'll be brave enough and say, hey, pastor, will you pray for me? I need prayer this morning. Anybody in the building with hands, thank you, thank you, hands going up. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands just going up everywhere. This is what I want to do. Let's pray together. Do me a favor. If you're comfortable, you don't have to do this. I'm hoping you're sitting by somebody you know. But let's let's do this. I want you to, to just make a point of contact. I don't care what that is. If you know the person, please do that. If you don't know the person, it might be weird. But let's pray together today. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your word, for your presence, God, for what you've done. God, thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. Lord, I pray for those who may be struggling in their, their life. They may be dealing with a dark, deep situation. What may seem like impossible. Like Mary probably felt that day when she went to the tomb and your body was gone. It felt like an impossible situation. It felt like it kept getting worse and worse and worse. God, may you show up in our tomb experience and call us by name right now. God, I, I pray, Lord, you speak to us. God, in a fresh and a great way. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We give you praise and adoration. Come on and give Jesus one more hand clap of praise.